Hello and welcome back to Franklin Covey's On Leadership series, now the world's fastest growing and largest distributed and subscribed to Leadership Weekly podcast. We are so honored that around the world we have people by the millions that are listening and watching to our weekly podcast where each week we focus on this increasingly broad topic of leadership. If you're a subscriber or recent listener or viewer, you know some weeks we have internal Franklin Covey thought leaders, best-selling authors, and other weeks we feature what you might call friends of the family, people who we feel that their points of view very much align with the mission, mission and vision of the Franklin Covey Company. And today is another one of those days where I am delighted to feature a friend of ours at Franklin Covey, Chris Hogan, who comes originally from the Dave Ramsey family of expertise. He is now the uh, number one author of the new book, Everyone, sorry, Everyday Millionaires. I had the privilege of meeting Chris on stage at the Rise Business Conference a year ago. Today, he's in such demand, it took him literally a year to have him schedule us in, but we are honored to have him joining us today. Chris Hogan, welcome from Franklin, Tennessee. Well, thank you, sir. It's a pleasure to be with you. So, Chris, I had heard of you, but my first exposure seeing you command a stage of 7,000 people was at Rachel and Dave Hollis's Rise Business Event almost a year ago this week or so in um, Charleston, South Carolina, where you brought insanely practical wisdom to literally 7,000 entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, people with side hustles, people like me every day who are trying to build financial security for their family. Today, I want to talk about some of the foundational financial principles that you'll teach as we head into the new year in 2021. What I'd like to do first, Chris, is have you perhaps remind our listeners and viewers about your journey. You've played football. You have um, a series of books. You are a well-known podcast host. You host the very famous Chris Hogan Show. That is a radio and podcast program. You're part of the Ramsey world, as in Dave Ramsey. Walk us through kind of how you got here. Well, Scott, you know, what's interesting is, as I look back on my life and my journey, I'm the result of people seeing more in this little Kentucky country boy than maybe I saw in myself. And I say that because I can remember being pushed by family. I've got a very strong family in Kentucky, uh, but also by teachers and coaches, athletic coaches, uh, were very instrumental in my life. Uh, they taught me early on the importance of goal setting, the importance of working as a team, but not just setting goals, but making the sacrifices and having a plan to get you there. And so, you know, the most instrumental, obviously, was my, my grandmother, my grandfather, and my mom. But as I got into college, I began to bump into some coaches that would have a profound impact on my life um, and really push and challenge me to get me to think bigger for myself as well as for my future. And so really utilizing those principles from those coaches and really starting to chart a path, really begin to see things and understand that you're going to have opportunities and chances in life. It's important for us to make a selection and move in the right direction with the game plan. Well, Chris, I have to tell you, if the book thing doesn't work out, there's no question you have a career as a voiceover expert because your voice is like intoxicating. I just want to kind of close my eyes and listen to you, which is why your radio program podcast is so insanely followed. Chris, lots of questions. So you are a now world-renowned expert on financial well-being, financial security. Is there a reason why you titled this book Everyday Millionaires? Why, why was that the focus as opposed to financial freedom or congruency or peace or sanity. Why did you pick everyday millionaires as the focus? 
Yeah, no, that's a great question. Uh, and digging in on this, um, I had done a media hit. I was in New York. I was part of a panel. And the last guy to speak made this statement, that the American dream is dead and gone. It's not possible for the little man to get ahead. You can't build wealth in America anymore. And he was the final one to speak. And I can remember I was three or four people away from him because I just wanted to get my hands around his neck <laughs> and, and shake him. But I can't do that. That's assault. Right. <laughs> but I knew the truth. So we set out on a path here at Ramsey Solutions and we did the largest research study on millionaires that's ever been done. Uh, we spoke to over 10,000 of them and I wanted to get to the bottom of the truth. How did they get there? Who are these people? And is it still possible? And what we found out in this survey of, of the largest study that's ever been done on millionaires is that the typical millionaire is not some flashy individual lady in, in a sharp suit leaning on a, a fancy car in front of a mansion. It's not a pro athlete. It's everyday people people that you work with, people that you live beside or go to church with. These are people that have built wealth over time. And so I wanted people to begin to kind of wake up to the fact and look at it. It's not about the family you were born in. It's not about the school that you went to. It's not even about your income. It's about the plan that you have for yourself and your family. And so that's how we have the title, Everyday Millionaires. Well, so well said. I think I read in the book that the research showed that the um, average age of a millionaire, I think, is it 49? Yes, sir, was, that is correct. Yeah, so let's, let's deconstruct that. You're not a psychiatrist. You don't portray to be a mental health counselor, but you share in the book how important it is to avoid this comparison syndrome, right, and, and compare your worth to someone else's, that, this idea of keeping up with the Joneses, permeates all of our lives, right? It's not unique to the shallow people. <laughs> it's just like me. It's unique to everyone. Talk a bit about some of the lessons that you took away from this unprecedented 10,000-person research study. What are some of the traps we all fall into on our way to build financial independence? Well, you hit, you hit the nail on the head talking about comparison. It is so easy for us to look at someone else's success and do one of two things. Number one, be envious. Uh, you know, think that they got there by cheating or, or some unscrupulous way. Or number two, just look at them and be happy for them. And I think too often time in our culture, we have a victim mentality, which means if we haven't done something, we wanna look to blame someone or something instead of just taking ownership of it and going, listen, if I haven't achieved this, it's on me. And guess what? If I am going to, it's on me to make it happen. But there's so many myths out there about building wealth, uh, you know, that you have to go to a prestigious school. 62% of the millionaires that we studied went to a public state university. 8% went to community college. 9% didn't go to college at all. So this thought that you have to go to a fancy prestigious school in order to become a millionaire is just simply untrue. The, also, the biggest one was about inheritance. Everyone believes if someone has wealth that they inherited it, like it was handed to them. And what we found is that an overwhelming majority, over almost 79% of the millionaires that we talked to were first-generation millionaires. They built wealth over time themselves. No one handed it to them. And so what I want people to realize as we're in coming upon this new year is that you get a chance to make a decision. And I think there are three facets that you really have to think. Number one, I tackled this one right out of the book and it's called believe. What I'm saying is, is believe that you can. Now, belief is a big deal. Psychologically, if you don't think you can or you think you can, either way, you, you're right. 
we have an opportunity to make a dis discussion and change for ourselves, but we have to believe that it's possible. Regardless of where you were born, regardless of where you went to school, you need to believe that you can build wealth over time. The second thing is, is you've got to grow in your knowledge. You have got to begin to understand how this money stuff works. There are free podcasts out there. There are books, there are things online where you can begin to read and have better familiarity to know what questions to ask. And then the final step is actions. We've got to take the right actions to either help us build wealth or continue with more of the same. Why are you not narrating Monday Night Football? <laughs> I love this voice. It's amazing. Uh, well, thank you, you thank know, you. I, I, someone said, Chris, you've got the voice for radio. I go, well, I've got the face for radio too. <laughs> hard, so. hard, hardly, sir. I saw those women <laughs> swooning over you in the audience. Uh, Chris, in addition to talking about this idea of comparison, you mm. also mentioned subtly our own self-worth, that a lot of us attach our self-worth yeah to how much we make. Well, we make $40,000 a year, so we're worth that. What have you learned about where, when people build financial security for themselves, how they also detach themselves from equating it to their salary? You're absolutely right, my friend. You know, your worth has nothing to do with your income. Your educational level, your focus, uh, your connections, your relationships, your work ethic are indicative of your income, but not your worth. And I'm a Christian, so, you know, and looking at this in the, as, in the eyes of God, we're all treasures in his eyes. But we cannot associate our worth. I tell people all the time, I've got a good friend of mine uh, who works hard, and he's, he does not make six figures, uh, but this man loves his family, he loves his friends, and so his worth has nothing to do with his income. His worth is in relationships and the impact that he's having on this world. And so, no, we can't make that connection. And that's really important because, you know, oftentimes we can get caught up in the world's way of thinking, you know, where we've got this latest, greatest thing that's coming out or self-parking cars or, you know, whatever it is. And we got to go, no, I don't need this. And I tell people we need to be adult enough to tell wants that they need to wait. And what I mean by that is having patience, really identifying what is your priority, what are your goals, and then stick to your plan. Don't let a commercial knock you off your track. Don't let a friend's actions knock you off your track. And for goodness sake, don't let your family's thoughts limit what you're capable of doing. Chris, I think it's an important point. I was talking with my wife recently. We, um, we like to buy and sell houses, and we have built some, some wealth by you know, uh, capitalizing on the appreciation of houses. And I've told my wife, I think one of my biggest challenges is that I'm actually so well-read. Like you, I'm a voracious reader. I subscribe to newspapers and magazines. But for 25, 30 years, I subscribed to a lot of architectural magazines, you know, with homes and, and, and interior design. And after 30 years, I feel like my home needs to look like that. So I'm buying furnishings and sofas and dishes that, quite frankly, I don't need because I'm subject to that media lens, right? What Dr. Covey would call the social lens. What are yeah. some habits that you would teach me and our viewers and listeners on how to get out of that comparison trap, get out of equating our self-worth to the things around us and keep that consistency and discipline that you say are two key attributes of people who build wealth for themselves? You know, I read something, I too, I love to read, and I uh, was reading about uh, the elderly. They had done a study, and they were asking them things that they wish they would have done more on, and some of their regrets. And I'll never forget reading this and starting to get an understanding of the things that we think matter that are truly frivolous. 
uh, starting to look at it. A lot of them talked about they wish they would have pursued their dreams more. They wish they would have took some more chances. Uh, they wish they would have done X, Y, or Z. And I remember reading this book, and in my mind, I kept hearing the sound of regret, the sound of missed opportunities, the sound of not chasing what's in your heart. So I think the biggest thing that we could do as we enter into this new year is take some time sit still for a couple of hours, really begin to write out what matters to you. What are the things that are truly important to you? And what's your plan on moving in that direction? And it's so easy around this time of year to set goals. And, and, and Scott, I'm a big goal setter. I love setting goals. But I remember I wrote a piece last year, a couple of years ago, and it was around this time of year. And I said, I don't want people setting goals anymore. Instead, what I want you to do is set some commitments. I want you to set some commitments to you that you're gonna to work toward. And not only do I want you to write out the plan of how you're gonna work this out and make this commitment happen, but I also want you to write down what you're willing to sacrifice to make it happen. See, we're so good at writing down what we want. We're not necessarily trained to write down what we're willing to give up to get there. And so it's really important to do all three facets of that, to dream, to plan, but to write down what you're willing to sacrifice. And as you do that, it'll help you start to get a better feel for your own pulse, how you're feeling about things and what you want to make happen. Had you been running my life 30 years ago, I would be retired, <laughs> living <laughs> hey, on a yacht I somewhere. I would have been retired a long time ago too. But <laughs> I've done for. my share. I've done my share of financial stupid. And <laughs> you know, we all have. And I think it's really easy to know that we can get off track you know, uh, if we start to just get wrapped up in commercials or wrapped up in other stuff that's going on. So it's really important for us to stay rooted in ourselves and just make sure we're resetting and refocusing. Chris, you're so real. You're so likable. I Obviously, I, I know Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman and Gene Chatsky and Robert Kiyosaki. These are people that are all in your space. Your delivery and relatability, I think, is what makes you stand out amongst this group of amazing peers. Let's take this conversation one step further. You know, the main viewers and subscribers of this podcast are professionals, people that are in leadership roles, that are working generally inside organizations, but not everybody. And some might be wondering, well, why did you invite Chris Hogan on, who's around, focused on personal finance? Well, we know there is a major connection to your sanity, right, to the level of stress and anxiety in every aspect of your life if your personal financial house isn't in order. We all bring these personal stresses into our business lives mm -hmm. as well. What are some of the practical things you have learned that are like die on your sword true? If you want to lower stress in your life and have a better professional life, do these things in your personal financial life and it will improve everything. Take that wherever you want to go. Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you're absolutely right. These C-suite individuals have an incredible opportunity to display some servant leadership to their team members. You know, people are, are stressed out right now. In the year of this pandemic, uh, financial stress and strain has become more prevalent than ever before. And you, as you just said, when people have financial stress, that stress doesn't wait in the car for them. That stress comes inside the workplace right, with them. Right. It steals their focus and it creates a stress level. Yeah. So what these individuals have an opportunity to do is to help their team get better. 
Start to talk about this stuff. Begin to talk about, hey, financial stress. Talk about emergency funds. Talk about the importance of budgeting. And what you'll do is you'll help the stress and strain begin to subside because people are gaining more confidence in the steps to take to help themselves. And so I think the absolutes, as we teach here at Ramsey Solutions, is A, you've got to be intentional with your budgeting. It's absolutely imperative for you to delete debt, get it out of your life. It's a thief. And it, I call it a thief because it not only steals from you now, but it steals from your future. Debt keeps you from doing more things for your kids or your grandkids. Debt keeps you from doing more things for yourself. So deleting debt, we call the debt snowball approach. List your debts out smallest to biggest, make minimum payments on everything but the little one, and throw every extra dime toward that, uh, that smallest debt. And as you knock it out, move down to the next one. And then once you get out of debt, you're actually going to give yourself a raise. Imagine that. Getting a raise and you didn't have to go speak to anybody in HR, you didn't have to go talk to a leader, you controlled it. When you get out of debt, you give you a raise. Once you get out of debt, I want you to build up a fully funded emergency fund. Three to six months of expenses that are just sitting in the bank, ready to protect you if and when life happens. And this pandemic has taught us that life can happen out of the blue. Chris, the book is so well-researched, 10,000 millionaires across 50 states, every demographic, every urban area. And it's also, I think, such a great read because you have these phenomenal, relatable stories. I, I don't know which one to pick the best of, but I love the one about the gentleman in the cough syrup popsicle. I can't say it with a straight face. Oh Will you goodness. take some time and recreate that story <laughs> and then make sure everybody knows what is the learning from that story? Oh my goodness, yes, I will tell you. So I had a gentleman, I work with a lot of pro athletes, entertainers, actors. Uh, they will come connect with me and as they're trying to set a game plan for themselves and their money. But one gentleman uh, was, was uh, an athlete uh, in the hockey arena, and he had this idea a friend had come to him with that he thought was just going to be remarkable. And he brought his wife in, and, and he wanted to invest $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars in this idea. And he said, Chris, brace yourself. I'm about to tell you something that's revolutionary. He said, maybe you <laughs> want to invest in it. I said, okay, my friend, what is it? He goes, well, you know how kids don't like cough medicine. I go, yeah, because it tastes bad, uh, but it helps them, so you got they got to take it. He goes, I've got, my friend has an idea. We're going to invent a cough medicine popsicle for kids. And I just looked at him, and I started laughing because I thought, surely he's pulling my leg. I laugh for about 30 seconds, and I stop laughing and look, and he's looking at me with a straight face. His wife is laughing with me. He was serious. And I remember explaining to him, hey, this is a horrible idea. You're going to invest a quarter of a million dollars in a cough medicine popsicle. I was like, kids don't like cough medicine, the one teaspoon you give them. Then you want to give them an entire popsicle to have to lick that tastes like Robitussin. This is a terrible idea. So anyway, they didn't do it. And I'm so grateful because I thought for sure he might. He was so convinced. But what I, I want the lesson out of that to be this. Make sure it makes sense. Before you put your hard-earned money into an investment, you need to know what it is, how it works, and how it's going to benefit you. So take the time to ask questions. Become a five-year-old and ask why. Why? Why should I do this? Why does this matter? And why is it going to impact my future? And I think it's so important because we will blindly invest in things. Cryptocurrencies, for the love of goodness, right, surged here in the last five years. We're talking about digital, right? You can't touch it, yet you want, it, want me to put my money in it? No way. So I just want people to slow down, have a long-term view, understand how things work, and be consistent in your investing.
Chris, you feature in the book and in your, your writing and speaking uh, common myths. I'm going to review these five myths that you talk about. But there's other things that are consistent about people who achieve a net worth. And you explain the, uh, the concept of net worth and a millionaire status around they don't have college loans. They often haven't taken out business loans. Hmm. Will you talk about some of the things that are consistent before we go to the other five that might dispel some of the rumors we think about when we think about someone that has a net worth of a million dollars? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of myths out there that they're risk takers. You know, people believe millionaires will take unnecessary levels of risk to get there. Uh, that's not true. These are people that are investing consistently over time. Uh, we've already talked about the inheritance side, that it wasn't handed to them. 79% of these millionaires were first generation. These were people that built wealth over time themselves. We know that you don't have to go to a prestigious school. And not risk takers. And so it really boils down to really being clear. And I talked about these myths so we understood what they weren't, because I didn't want people to think that they had to get rich quick uh, with these schemes that come on late night TV or that they have to take unnecessary risks. No, what you have to do is zero in and be very intentional, get the right guidance. You know, most people think millionaires did it all on their own. No, almost 64% of these millionaires worked with an investment professional. So they worked with someone that had knowledge that they didn't have. And so it's important. And oh, the biggest 80% of the millionaires said the number one tool they use to build wealth, number one, remember we're talking over 10,000 millionaires, the number one thing they use were employer-sponsored plans. Talking about 401ks, 403bs, IRAs and Roth IRAs, the very same tools that we all, most of us have access to. So. Being a millionaire is not an exclusive club that eliminates you. It's an opportunity for you to work toward if you're intentional. I want to talk about the five attributes of everyday millionaires. Before mm. we go there, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from Dave Ramsey? Oh, wow. I think, you know, the biggest lesson Dave has taught me um, is to be a giver. Uh, this man is extremely intentional with giving uh, behind the scenes, uh, in front of the scenes, at all places. And, uh, you know, he is, he's got an incredible heart. I've had an opportunity to work with him uh, for 15 years now. And so I've seen an opportunity for him to be an incredibly gracious and generous giver uh, with his time, with his talent, but also with money. What's the biggest financial mistake you've learned the most valuable lesson from? Oh, that debt is a thief. <laughs> Listen, I did stupid years ago with an SUV and I had that big old payment. And if I would have invested that payment instead of having that, that SUV payment, I, I would have a whole lot more money now. I can't talk about it, Scott. It gives me indigestion. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to slink outside and not get in my car <laughs> in case you see it. <laughs> Chris, let's talk about the five attributes of everyday millionaires. First, millionaires take personal responsibility. Riff on that. Yeah, got a personal responsibility. No more victim mentality. No more blaming other people. It's about me. If I did it, that's great. If I didn't do it, I failed. I have to fix it. And I think if we do more of this internal kind of discussion and looking at it, and I'm not going to let the outside world be a distraction or become uh, uh, the blame for me, I'm going to own it one way or the other, and I'm going to fix it if it's not the way I want it. I think you just gave us marital advice. Oh. And career advice. Yes. And parenting advice. Yes. Yeah, that's just not about becoming a millionaire. That's about becoming a contributing, responsible citizen and human being. I completely agree. Let's talk about number two, millionaires practice intentionality. 
Yeah, it's not an accident. Listen, these people set out to be able to have wealth. They set out to build wealth, to give themselves security, to be able to give to charities that they believe in, to be able to pass it on as an inheritance uh, later in life. It's not an accident. And I think if we look at it and we start to think about the areas where we've all been successful or had some level of success, it's not an accident. You know, in the sporting world, you put in the time to train, to put your body in shape, to be able to perform. As an individual, if you've had some success in your job, it's because you've spent time doing this. It didn't happen by accident. And I think that same principle is can be an intentional factor with us building wealth. It's not going to happen by accident. Uncle Sam, the government's not going to save the day. What we have to do is get our own cape and take personal responsibility for where we are, but also where we want to go. Well said. Chris, the third attribute is millionaires are goal-oriented. You spoke earlier about the difference between goals and commitments. I like the way yes. you framed that. For people that are going into this new year and they feel overwhelmed, they feel like there's no hope but to declare bankruptcy. There's no hope but to let it just implode. You deal with a lot of coaching of people that, that are, are at the despair level. How do you structure goals? How do you structure commitments so people can feel like they're winning and not just become overwhelmed. Yeah, I think it's really important if you're feeling overwhelmed is to just take a collective deep breath. <sighs> this year's been tough. It's been hard. We've had more challenges, more distractions. We've had life upended in so many ways. This year has been extremely tough. So take a deep breath and let's do one thing. Control the controllables. If it's outside of your control, the weather, the pandemic, other people's responses, we can't worry with it. I'm gonna focus on the things that I can control. And I tell people there are, are several things we can control. Our attitude, our outlook, our actions, and our responses. If we control those four things, you can begin to turn this around. Now, if you're in a financial hole, you didn't get here overnight. This came from years of overspending or lack of doing something. So don't have an unrealistic expectation that you're gonna fix it overnight. But you can the same way by having a plan that you're going to begin to follow. And I want you to wake up and decide, but you have to keep deciding every day. I'm going to do the things that I can control, and I'm going to do the things that are going to help me get better for the sake of my family. Chris, when Dr. Covey was alive, he, of course, is the author of the seminal book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. This book has been the backbone of our company worldwide. And one of the concepts that Stephen talked about is the trim tab, you know, these giant um, ocean liners had these huge propellers and rudders that are multi-stories high. But they also have these, you know, tiny rudders, and these tiny rudders are what controls the big rudders. Have you found that there are some tiny habits or tiny rudders or tiny changes that people can, can course correct on? Have you seen anything consistently that people that get tripped up they do mm -hmm. some of the same things, and if they can just January 1st begin to get their hands around them, it could literally transform their path to becoming an everyday millionaire. No, I think so. I think it's a matter of what you tell yourself. Um, I think our voice in our head is a very strong and powerful voice. And if it's not telling you positive, encouraging thoughts, then I want you to mute it. Um, I don't want you to keep playing that same track. We all know the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So it's time to change that track. Also, I don't. life's not meant to be done alone, Scott. I think we need to get the right people around us. Uh, as I tell people, I've got a, my YouTube channel. I put out a video of the four people you need in your life. 
And I said, everyone needs a men- a coach. You need someone to, to coach you. You need a mentor, someone that you can kind of look at and emulate. But you also need a friend and you need a cheerleader. You need people that fit all three of those buckets. You got coach, excuse me, mentor, coach, mm-hmm. cheerleader, friend. And not only do you need to be have those four in your life, you need to be one of those four in other people's lives as well. And I think those those are some small rudders that can control the big one. And our big ones are our thoughts, our actions, and our responses. Those are huge, and we can control those. Who needs Tony Robbins when you got Chris Hogan? Chris <laughs> Hogan's in the house. No offense, Tony, but Chris is on the rise. I appreciate uh, it. Fourth key attribute is that millionaires are hard workers. Yes. Listen, we, it's time to roll up the sleeves and get to work. No more sitting around wishing. No more sitting around whining. I'll never forget, my coach, I had an opportunity to bump into a, a gentleman that was in the military. And uh, he had lost both legs. And he was wanting to work on starting a business. And I went uh, over to meet with him. And, you know, he was giving me sweet tea. We were in the South. And sweet tea in the South can give you a cavity. I mean, it's real. But I'd had a lot of it. And I asked him if I could go use the restroom. And I get in there and I come over to wash my hands. And in his bathroom, remember, he's in a wheelchair. Uh, but in his bathroom at about, at about eye level for him, waist high for me, there was a sign there. And the sign said, winners don't whine. And I remember standing in that bathroom tearing up because I thought, wow, if anybody could whine, if anybody could complain, it's this guy. He lost both his legs in the field of battle. But yet every day he's telling himself, winners don't whine. I come out of the bathroom, I'm wiping my eyes, and he's smiling at me. He goes, what's wrong? I said, nothing. He said, you saw my sign, didn't you? He goes, Chris, I have to make a decision every day that I'm not going to whine. I'm going to win the day. And so I would tell people, Mm -hmm. winners don't whine. Don't whine anymore about things you can't control. I want you to win. And that winning might be starting with what you believe about you, what you say to you, and what you say about yourself to others. I want you to control those three things, and life will change. Chris, bring it home with uh, millionaires are consistent. Extremely consistent. Listen, you've got to be able to follow a plan, and you've got to be clear enough to know that that plan's going to get you to a destination. So consistency. They invest over time. They're not looking for one big home run. They're investing consistently over time. They're budgeting consistently. They're reminding themselves consistently that they're in control of their money. And money will obey better than kids. I found this out. I've got three boys myself. But if you tell that $100 bill to sit in your wallet, guess what? It won't move until you allow it. So be consistently in control of yourself. Be adult enough to know the difference between a want and a need. But also consistently believe that it is possible for you right now where you are to get on a path to building wealth. Chris, my wife and I are privileged to have three sons, six, eight, and 10. This is both the joy of my life and the bane of my existence. What are some of the money principles that you're teaching your boys that the rest of us should heed? You know, three categories. I think, you know, money is one of these things that we have to use all our lives. And no one teaches us about this stuff. And so it's important for parents to have that conversation, to let kids know that money doesn't come from mom and dad. Money comes from work. So what I did was, as I teach my kids three areas of money, there's money you give, there's money that you save, and there's money that you spend. Those three areas are crucial. And so if you can help them to understand that, I'm going to tell you, there's nothing, you'll see no more proudness and excitement than to watch a young kid put money into an offering plate at church or donate at a cause. So teach them those three areas and, and begin to have that conversation with them. You'll give them a skill for life.
I feel like I'm on the right track. Uh, uh, I happen to be Catholic, and my wife and I are raising our three sons Catholic. And in our church, there's been a big push to go to online contribution, right, for a variety mm. of reasons, including the pandemic and right. lack of uh, um, attendance and the, the money in the cash in the bank, uh, cash in the collection plate. But my mother, who happened to be a Methodist, uh, when she raised my brother and I, she had all these envelopes, and she would manage the money in the house, and she'd put cash every payday in all these envelopes. And I watched my mother put money in for, you know, for movies and for groceries and for the power bill and for all these things. There was always an envelope for the money, and I always watched my mother and my father put the money in the collection plate. And to this day, we write our checks out, and all three boys have their own check as well because I want them to see each other putting money into the collection plate. I don't want it to be just digitally in the air. I think there's some yes. value in how we see our parents actually handle money. No, I think it is. And I think you're teaching your kids an incredible lesson uh, that they're seeing mom and dad talk about money, but they're also being taught lessons that'll be lifelong lessons. Uh, and I could see it in your face as you were talking about yeah. your mom and the envelopes. Yeah. Uh, it's very real. And so I want to encourage parents out there, have that conversation. You know, help let them see you interacting about money, but also teach them how to do it themselves. Chris, I once heard a lesson from someone that said one of the best ways to teach your kids about budgeting is to actually, if you can, go to the bank and take out the cash equivalent of your paycheck and mm. put all that money out on the dining room table and show your children how much money is going towards rent, how much is going towards food, how much is going towards entertainments people actually can your kids can actually understand how quickly the money is allocated or misallocated what are some of the lessons that you've learned that you could pass on to our listeners around the visualization also of where the money goes because you know increasingly money is digital right and and mm -hmm. a lot of the ways we spend our our money is digital probably more going that way than in cash what's the balance of of how we manage that well, I think we've got to see it, and I agree. I like the idea of being able to touch it. I'm a huge proponent of the envelope system, but being able to see it allows us to be able to manage it, right? And it's impossible for us to manage anything we're not aware of. So we need to be aware of our, our cost and what's happening. Now with kids, obviously you want to have age appropriate conversations. And so as you start to get with uh, older teenagers that may be going off to college, helping them to learn budgeting is absolutely essential. So they begin to tell money where to go instead of wondering where it went. That's a quote by John Maxwell, and I love it because that's exactly right. Money will go all over the place unless you tell it to. So there are visual things you can do, but also online. Uh, we've got a, every dollar as our budgeting app that we use that allows people to visually be able to see and track. And so, but use whatever you have to. Uh, I can remember using M&Ms and candy to help my boys understand yeah, yeah. how money works and where it goes. So just begin to have the conversation, but hear me, one conversation is not the lesson. One conversation is an introduction. Make it a pattern to discuss it. Make it a pattern to be able to talk about, and that will allow them to grow. Chris, take a moment and talk about what you and Dave Ramsey are doing to build financial literacy inside of schools and organizations. You're, you know, when we hear Dave Ramsey, we think of the radio program and yeah. the podcast. When we hear you, we think of your books and your radio program. You've got tentacles in a whole variety of areas that help to build financial literacy. Talk a bit about the mission and the reach you're having. 
Yeah, we sure do. We're very intentional on teaching people. So we have the foundations curriculum that's taught in about 52% of the high schools in the United States right now. And what that does is teach middle school and high school students about how money works. We're teaching them about budgeting, about saving, about investing. And so helping young people there get that skill. Uh, but also on the workplace front, uh, we have a program called Smart Dollar. Uh, smartdollar.com, what it does is it teaches people about finances via video, but also with tools and trackers in the workplace. And so it gives people an opportunity to be able to go home, connect with their spouse, but be able to watch lessons taught by Dave and Rachel Cruz and myself to help people understand how this money stuff works. So these people in the C-suite, you've got an opportunity to help your teammates be more focused and more productive at work by helping them with the financial side. So again, they can go to smartdollar.com and learn more about that program. Chris Hogan, the powerhouse, author of Everyday Millionaires, How Ordinary People Built Extraordinary Wealth and How You Can Too. Chris, what's next on your horizon? Well, I'm continuing to push and grow the Chris Hogan Show. Uh, that's a caller-driven show where people are calling in and asking questions about money, about debt, about building wealth. Uh, so I'm, I love doing that show and an opportunity to connect and talk to people. But I'm also always thinking of digital things to do, uh, more videos to put out, more programs, and, and maybe another book or two here in the future. But my goal is to help empower and encourage people. So if you're out there and you say, I'm going to make 2021 – the best financial year I've ever had, I want you to go to chrishogan360.com. That's chrishogan360.com. Start reading, start learning, and start growing. I think Morgan Freeman better watch his back because you're going to take over all of his <laughs> narrating gigs if he's not careful. Chris, such an honor, so gracious. Uh, delighted to have you on today, and we will certainly bring you back in the future. Thank you for your time today. Scott, thank you very much. Great conversation, my friend. This is a book you got to pick up, Everyday Millionaires by Chris Hogan. Funny stories, the cough syrup popsicle is one of hundreds of stories that you all can relate to about things you're tempted to do, traps that we fall into. Hope you have enjoyed the conversation today. If you're not subscribing to On Leadership, please visit franklincovey.com. Click on the On Leadership tab, subscribe, rate us, rank us on all your podcast platforms, and we'll see you back here next week in the new year with a new guest on leadership.